Well, nothing makes a, an argument uh, worse than uh, making it in a road trip on a car for six hours. And that's what happened uh, when I was confined uh, for six hours from uh, uh, Madison to St. Louis uh, with these guys. And uh, it was a passionate argument that we had. We had to duke out. And uh, it was uh, about uh, the Fast and Furious movies. Um, <laughs> I said they should be dead and buried after the first movie, uh, but uh, one of my compatriots in the car said they are a great part of American cinema, and uh, we should all be watching all eight of the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, if you don't know Fast and Furious, the movie series, uh, it's uh, with Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, uh, The Rock. Uh, they're basically car chase movies. and. Uh, uh, my friend uh, argued uh, that these movies are more than the bad acting and the burning of rubber, uh, that they're about family and uh, really good values. Uh, and he quoted Vin Diesel, the most important thing in life will always be family. I mean, this is quality stuff, Dan. Um, look how Vin fights for his family and uh, does this uh, in these, this movie series all through eight movies, right? Uh, well, today uh, we're going to see a character kind of like Vin Diesel, I guess I'll equate someone like Vin Diesel in the Gospels, um, that fights for his family. Uh, and people like myself that don't appreciate uh, Vin Diesel, there's others that don't appreciate this, uh, this person, but he shows his true belief. How far would you go for your family? As far as Vin Diesel? As far as I'll go see all these Fast and Furious movies as my family really enjoys them? Would you go as far as the character in today's story? How about all the way to the source of true life? Would you go that far for your family? Let's find out, shall we? Look, John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 43. And I'm going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. Well, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. <clears throat> for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they, too, had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. 
This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. You know, you can't go wrong preaching about Jesus, right? I mean, he has got high favorability ratings. He really does. You know, uh, they did a survey in Wisconsin about uh, people in Wisconsin, who they like the most. And after the Super Bowl win, Aaron Rodgers got 89% favorability in Wisconsin. Just to know how great Jesus is, he got a 90% favorability rating. So Jesus still ranks above Aaron Rodgers for favorability. You know, people love Jesus. Even if they go to church, they don't go to church, there's a high favorability of who he is in Wisconsin. I think there is because he's kind of like clay, you know? You kind of can form him and shape him the way you want him to look, you know? I can uh, make him convenient for me depending on what side of the aisle I am or what I'm dealing with or whatever it might be. If I want him to be tolerant and loving, I can shape him to look like that. And I'll pick out verses to show him that way. If I want him to be judgmental and talk about heaven and hell a lot, I can find lots of verses and point those out too. Thing is, this is not a new idea. Even back here, people like to shape Jesus for who they wanted him to be. And that's what's happening early on in his ministry. You see, Jesus is in the midst of the north and south divide of Israel. And he has now gone from the south, Judea, to up to Galilee. And the Galileans, they have heard what Jesus has done down south. Well, the Galileans, they really didn't like it that the temple, the place they were supposed to worship, was in the southern part of Israel, in Judea. So they had to travel down south to get there. And there's always kind of grumblings about the temple being in the south. Oh, those southerners, you know. We really, yeah, you know, those southerners. And here they heard about Jesus and what he had been doing down south. And maybe one of the things that they had seen themselves, because they had traveled down and seen it during one of the feasts, is that Jesus had gotten mad in the temple. Turned over tables and cleared it out, saying, you know, you can't sell these things there. You're not opening up to other people. Whatever the reasons it might have been that he did it. And like, yes, this is the man we want to be around. We want to gather and hear him. He's done signs and miracles. He's, he's now come from the south to the north to us. And so when it says in verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Yeah, that makes sense. But wait a second. Just before that verse, there's these parentheses in verse 44. And it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. And his hometown was Nazareth in the north. And this doesn't make sense to me. One, they welcomed him in Galilee. And now he's saying he's, he's not welcome in his own hometown. What is going on? Is this a, a contradiction? I don't think so. I'll call it irony. Yeah, they welcomed him in the beginning. And they think, oh yeah, he's great. He, he's what we want him to be. But then as we go through John, as we'll see, that He's not what they exactly wanted. We like you, Jesus, for your signs, what you can do for us. 
But when it comes to having to actually honor you or believe in you or entrust ourselves to you, I don't know about that. In fact, John, before he gets to all this section, before talking about Nicodemus and uh, talking about the Samaritan woman and then coming to this story, he sets it all up in this verse in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, he says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. You see, on the outside, they might welcomed him and loved him and said, hey, he's great. But on the inside, he saw their hearts and what was inside of them. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, beat up on those Southerners. Put them in their place. You know, do we say that too at times? Oh, Jesus, I have this brother. You've got to talk to him. I've got this neighbor. Put them in their place. I've got this friend. What happens when it turns on you? When Jesus says things to you in your heart that you don't like. This is what's starting to happen. I think it's very fitting. I think, especially in our time, where everyone claims Jesus. I, I, I know I rant on Facebook a lot, not personally, but rant on what I see on Facebook a lot. You know, I, I notice my friends from the left and the right and the center, all of them claim Jesus for their position. It's awesome. You know? Uh, you know, I'll claim Jesus for this idea. I'll claim Jesus for that idea. He's mine. He's mine. No, you see, the thing is, you can't claim Jesus by your ideology, by what candidate you support, by where you live, by what culture you're in. What Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage and what John is trying to communicate throughout all of this book of John is Jesus is the one that claims us. He is the one who entrusts himself to us. He is the one who calls. No label on the outside of us is going to cut getting Jesus. He wants to go to our hearts. He wants to claim us. We can't claim him by our positions, our ideologies, by our positions. And when this happens, he wants all of us. And that is what's happening here. See, again, when John says he welcomed all these people, he's writing with great irony. In the beginning of the book of John, he says, he came to his own people, meaning Jesus, but his people did not receive him. And we see who actually Jesus received. The Samaritan woman. And now who he receives, this official from Capernaum. So we know this, there's an official from Capernaum. And if you're an official in Israel at this time, you were probably hired by the established authority at this time. And the established authority was either Rome, that was the one that kind of hired this guy for this position in Capernaum, or maybe it was the Herodians who the Romans put in place to rule over Israel. So whether it was uh, the Romans or the Jews that put him in place, this guy probably wasn't always well-liked 
even with authority and power, they weren't well liked because they were kind of, you know, listening to the man or following the man in Rome, who the Jews did not always appreciate. And it was probably very likely that this man was not a Jew, but he was actually a Gentile, a non-Jew. And he had come 15, 20 miles away to see Jesus because he had heard what Jesus had been doing. And he was going to try anything to help his son, his sick son, who was near to death, to get better. Even if it meant going to this magic man. Even if it meant humbling himself to this Jewish man, even though he was official, even though he would have to travel far away to get there. So what is Jesus? What is he known as at this time? Is he the miracle man? The Harry Houdini of, of ancient Israel? The David Copperfield? The David Blaine? just going around the countryside doing magic tricks. Here I go. Look at me. I'm popular. Look at the things I can do. Many times that's how we can view Jesus. You know, this is what Jesus is. He's just a guy back in the day that did some miraculous things. That's wonderful. And then people believed him and then a religion came out of it. Well, the thing is, the miracles that Jesus performed, they had purpose. They weren't just to do magic and show his power. No, they had purpose in what they were doing. Here it references what he did in Canaan before. He turned water into wine. That's a cool trick, right? I'd like that guy at my party. No, there was purpose behind turning water to wine. It showed the way that it would be in heaven. A banquet a festival, a feast where the best is served. How about the turning over the tables? What kind of sign was that? Jesus was saying, I turn the, the, the tables over the temples to know that people are welcome into the temple, the Gentile courtyard. They can come and be in this place. We should not be turning them out. They should be, be allowed to be here. Coming to the Samaritan woman and and giving her water, living water, showing that he even makes those that thirst be able to have life. And now, coming to this man and healing his son, that he restores what is dead to life. See, what Jesus is doing in his miracles is not just magic tricks. Instead, what he's doing is he's showing how the world should be. He's restoring the world to its proper place where there is a feast and a banquet and joy, where people are welcome, where people no longer thirst and are needy, where people that are sick are healed, where people that are dead are raised to life. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who wasn't a Christian, and he says, you know, that whole resurrection thing, that's just crazy. That supernatural talk, that's insane. I, can't, I just can't believe in stuff like that. And I said, you know, maybe the resurrection isn't a supernatural thing, but it's the most natural thing, right? That's how we should be. We sh are not made to die. 
We are made to live. You see, Jesus has reversed the order of the world, a broken world, to bring it back to the way it should be. Where there is not death, where there is life. That his resurrection is a picture of the world as it should be. It's the most natural thing. Now, I've been digging these conversations we've been having with people, and it has been wonderful. We've been doing this as a church where we've been talking to different individuals and listening to them and their stories and what they think the meaning of life is. And one of the 10 questions that we ask is, why do you think there are so many problems in our world? We were just talking about this morning, Luke and I, just people love to be listened to. Maybe because people are listened to nowadays, especially about you know, religious things, they think we're just going to talk at them, but they just pontificate, you know, and just to hear people out and what they believe is so fascinating. And what I've heard through some of these interviews is, you know, many people, everyone I've interviewed said, yeah, there are problems with this world. And ask them, why do you think there's so many problems? They say, well, because selfishness and greed, fear, there are problems in, with individuals and in their hearts. And then the next question we ask after that question is, well, what is the hope for our world after we ask that question? It's intriguing the answers to this. They say, well, the hope is if people just had more understanding or knowledge or saw where people were coming from, then the world would be better. You know, it's all in me that wants to just answer that right there and then, right? But I just need, I need to listen. And if they want to, enter into that conversation with me, I would love to. But guess what? You guys have to hear what I have to say, right? Because you're sitting here, right? But it, and it fits well with this passage. You see, knowledge is not the answer to the selfishness and greed and fear in our hearts. You know, just read Steve Jobs' biography to see that, right? We've tried that experiment. It has not worked. What Jesus is saying is, there needs to be something from the outside. There needs to be something from the outside that comes to us on the inside to change us. The problem for our world is not found in ourselves. It is found in God interceding in us. It's found in Him restoring the world the way it should be. Water to wine. Clearing the temple. Healing the sun, changing our hearts. You see, this is what Jesus wants to do to this official. Yeah, I want to heal your son. Yes, I want the world to look like that. But really, that is not the ultimate solution. The ultimate solution is me changing you. Listen, this official, you know, I made this philosophical argument. This official isn't interested in philosophical arguments, okay? He's not interested. I want to know the Christology, right? Tell me about Messiahship, Jesus. What, what kind of Messiah are you? I want to parse the Greek word for Messiah. Can you tell me what that is? No, he's not interested in any of that stuff. He is interested in his son. That's what he knows. He loves his son. He wants 
him healed. This is a problem for me. Listen, I am snooty, okay? I am opinionated. And many times I'm elitist in my movie taste, right? You know, how can you like Fast and Furious, right? This isn't good acting. There is no plot. Well, there's some, I guess you could say there's some kind of plot there, whatever. There is no good editing done here. I mean, this is, this is horrible cinematography. I can be very snooty. I can be the same when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Do you want to hear the redactional critique of the New Testament? I'd love to give that to you. Maybe I'll give you the cosmological argument for the existence of God. No, this guy knows he just loves his son. And he wants him healed. He loves his kids. He loves his family. And he's going to do anything to help in that. It's as simple as that. There's no complex argument here. Just help me in this situation. This is so true for our context in Wisconsin. We love our families in Wisconsin. We love our kids. Listen, go... A few weekends ago, I went down to Milwaukee to coach the club volleyball team in Milwaukee. There is this warehouse. It is gigantic. There's like 12 courts in this place. There's thousands of parents. I had to park, I'm not lying, a half a mile away to get into this place. Okay? It is packed with kids and families, and they're there for eight hours. Eight hours watching their eight and nine-year-olds play volleyball, okay? If you've ever watched eight and nine-year-old girls play volleyball, there's not much to watch, okay? Sorry, Morgan. It's great, but it's really serve, next point. Serve, next point. That's the majority of the volleyball, okay? They're getting better. Morgan's getting better. It's getting better. But they will watch it for eight hours because they love their kids, they love their kids. And they'll pay them exorbitant amount of money to be in club volleyball. They will do that. And really, that's many times how religion is seen in Wisconsin. In Christianity, is it going to help my kids? I'll put them there. Is this going to help my family? Great. Go to confirmation. Go to church. If this is going to help them, great. I'm all for it. But hear what Jesus says. Look with me. Verse 48. So Jesus said to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, the you here is Actually, not a singular you. It's actually the plural you. He's probably talking to Galilee at large, to the people in this area. You know, the reason you believe is not in who I am. It is what I can give you. And the truth is, if you just believe in what I can give you and not believe in me, you're really not believing in me. You're believing in that. Example, Jesus, I want money. 
I want success. You're not really after Jesus. You're after the success and you're after the money. Now let's bring it down to kids. What do you want for your child? I want my child to have happiness. I want my child to have success. I want my child to be morally upright. And as official, I want my child to have life. And Jesus says it's more than that. Thing is, if all you want for your child is happiness, then you know what? Your child might end up running over other people to get that. If all you want is success for your child, then they're going to be paralyzed when they actually reach things that draw them back from success. When they fail at something. I could pontificate forever about 20-somethings and failure. But we have a problem in America when we teach our kids success is what matters, you're just valuable, you just go get it and get anything you want, just go for it. What that's done to 20-somethings. It's destroyed them. Oh, I want my kid to be morally upright. Well, if that's what you think Christianity is and the church is, then they might look great on the outside. They might know how to do an interview like that. They might know how to put on a tie. They might know how to say, yes, sir, yes, and am. But in their heart, what is there? You see, Jesus is saying, I am after more than signs. I am after your heart. I am after what is inside. And the, the, the official's like, great, okay, sure, come down before my child dies. All I know, great, if you want to say that, great. Just come down, Jesus, and be with my child and heal him. And that makes sense because that's what these miracle workers did. You had to be on site to save. That's what Elijah did. You got to be present to save. And he's like, okay, do all this talking, but not, just please, it's, the time is running out. Please come and help. But Jesus, what does he say? He says, go, your son will live. What kind of person is this? By the word he speaks, he can heal? I mean, healers in our day don't do that. I mean, even the great one we appreciate, Elijah, who came before, he had to be physically present to raise someone from the dead. You see, Jesus wasn't simply a miracle worker. He wasn't simply Elijah. No, he has the power to bring life by his words. Who has the power to bring life by his word? You can go to Genesis 1 and you can see. Only God himself.
See, Jesus is saying, I have something for your son. I have the words of life. I have salvation that will last longer than success or security or uprightness. I have myself. And what does it say? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. How far did this man go for his son? Well, he journeyed in front of people that might not like him. He humbled himself and begged as an official to another man. He trusted Jesus at his word. And then when he found out that the healing happened at the same hour, the healing of the son happened the same hour that Jesus healed, he didn't say, oh, what a great coincidence. Oh, that's, that works well. No, he believed that it was the words of Jesus that healed him. And the words had such effect that it carried down not into his own life, but into the life of all of his household. Look who saves. Look who brings life. Look who brings change. Look who makes all things new. That makes sense. It's his son who he loves. Look how far he would go. You know, I, I like to sometimes just bash Wisconsin culture at time. Oh, how dare they? No. These are good values. Family values are good values. Vin Diesel values are good values. The most important thing in life will always be family. Yeah, fast and furious. These are good values. But they're not the end all. They're not what bring true life and love to family. If you really love your family, if you really love your kids, if you really want what is best for them, look to the one that truly loved his family more than you ever could. How much did God the Father love us, his children, his sons and daughters? See, he gave up his own son. He gave up his son for us. That's crazy. That's insane. To a culture that loves our kids so much and loves our family so much that someone would give up his kid for someone else? That's how much he loves you. That's what he has done for you. Don't you see that's what brings life? That's what brings success. That's what brings more uprightness. That's what brings joy. That's what brings what a family truly needs. Will you cling to that?
You know, when we come forward, we are saying, Father, we come to the Son that you sacrificed for us so that we can be a part of your family, that we might be sons and daughters that were alienated, that were sick, that were dead, that you brought life to them through him. This isn't an Emmaus Road table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's for those that say, I need Christ. Not his signs, not what he can give to me, not this moral uprightness. No, I need him in my life. I need his righteousness so that I might live. If you're not there, I encourage you. There's some prayers here that are printed in your worship guide. You, you can just read them, sit, and just process this. If you are questioning some of the stuff I said today, I encourage you, please, you can come talk to me or any of the elders that are going to be up here. We love to process what it means to trust in Christ.